Kat and I work for the William Wilberforce Trust at HTB with Paul Cowley. Um, and it's my pleasure today to introduce both Rob Waller and Jonathan Dean, if you want to just stand up as well. Um, Rob um, and Jonathan will be leading the next three sessions of this stream, which is called Tackling the Unspoken Issues. Um, and particularly today, which is on Making Changes, tomorrow, Staying Alive, and Tuesday, Healing Together. Um, and it's a real privilege that they've come down from Scotland to spend these three days with us. Um, Rob is a consultant psychiatrist there working for the NHS and also director of Mind and Soul, which is a web-based resource looking at issues around mental health. Um, and I have heard him speak before, and I'm very glad that I got roted on to be looking after this shift because I would probably have wanted to be here anyway. Um, and so without much ado, I will hand over to them to look after us for the next hour. Thanks, Kat. It's, it's great to be here. Um, so as, as Kat says, we've got three seminars lined up. L later in the week, food, if you haven't found any by Wednesday, and then addiction for Thursday. Um, but what we're doing is we're sort of trying to take people through a sort of series. And the first thing is looking at, looking at making changes. Tomorrow, once you've made the changes, what do you do? You know, the whole idea about, about staying alive, what it means to be healthy as a Christian, um, with apologies to the Bee Gees. Um, and then Tuesday is looking a little bit about healing together, um, you know, as, as a sort of charismatic group of Christians. We mostly believe in healing, but what happens when healing doesn't happen? And then two specialist topics, which other people are doing towards the end of the week. But making changes is really, really important. And one of the things that was striking me um, is that today what we've seen is we've seen climate change. And this is good, isn't it? Because we've had about three months of rain and now the sun is, is coming. And um, that's a sort of general principle for today. Please, after this, go down the beach. Um, I'm guessing many people have come here today, you know, wanting to make changes perhaps in an area in your life. But focus primarily is just about enjoying the seminars, listening, taking what you can get out of them, and then perhaps just enjoying a bit else of what's going on. So let's try and take all of this week in that spirit. Come along, go down the beach. But joking apart, change is, is a really important issue. If you go to Google and type in climate change, some of what you get is about um, you know, the weather and, and all that kind of stuff. But increasingly, what you're starting to see if you go to Google and look for climate change is about how to change the emotional climate, how to make places more encouraging, how do you change the climate in a business to make it from a business or a church or a household that's failing? How do you change that climate into a climate that is going forward, which is exciting, which is encouraging? So, so climate change is increasingly being used in those kind of terms. And I guess I was thinking today that perhaps some of you have had the experience where you feel a bit more like a thermometer, where you're registering the temperature in the room, and the temperature might be quite, quite negative, might be quite cold. What we're going to try and do today is perhaps give you some ways in which you can start being a thermostat, which you can start influencing temperature, about bringing about changes in your business, in your own mental and emotional health. So that's really where the making changes idea came from. But changes are quite scary ideas. And what I'd like to do, just to sort of break the ice at the beginning, is um, perhaps just hear a little bit. I think Jonathan's going to jump up and do some scribing. What do you think about when you hear the word change? 
And those of you who haven't spotted um, at the top of the handouts and also just what was on there, all of my slides, I'm talking from slides here, but in actual fact, it's almost too light in these tents to have slides up the front. So all of the slides are available at minusol.info slash focus. Um, the audio is going to be there and also on the HTB website later. Um, and all of the handouts are there. But what, what, what kinds of things that go through people's head when they hear the word change? Do you want to maybe just sort of shout some things out this side of the room? Transformation, yep. Risk, opportunity, fear, yep. Uncertainty, rigidity, yes. Inflexibility, yep. Failure, yep. There's definitely quite a lot that goes on, isn't there? And, you know, one of the problems with change um, is that it's such a huge topic and such a sort of positive spin is always put on it. You know, you've got to embrace change. The only certain thing there is is that you're going to change. That, that by the way, was a, a quote from a bloke called Heralacticus. He said, there's nothing permanent except change. And he was retweeted by Plato, Darwin, and Chekhov, the playwright. So I thought that was pretty good. But it, it's one of those cheesy quotes that often comes out. The only thing that is certain is change. Um, and you can also sort of tell how popular a subject is by the number of jokes that are about it. So do you know how many Anglicans it takes to change a light bulb? To which the Anglican says, change. And the other joke, of course, is, you know, do you know how many charismatics it takes to change a light bulb? And the answer is just one because we're doing it already, Lord. So anyway, that is enough of my, of my cheesy jokes. Change is also quite serious, isn't it? Because when we think about change, we can be quite influenced by culture. So there's a great you know, desire to be happy, to be positive, to put a positive spin on things. You want to change for the better. You want to increase your income. You want to sort of make you know, more prosperity in your life. And a lot of the books that you read, if you go to a self-help section of any bookshop, are going to be about improving things. And I think one of the sort of tensions that we have to deal with as Christians is that it might not necessarily about, be about improvement on those terms. It might not be about a big house, a big salary, a fast car, because we follow a Jesus who ultimately went to the cross. So for us, actually, change might involve persecution. It might involve struggle. It might involve difficulty. So Christians have got to bring that kind of perspective to the self-help market. It's not just about... You know, those depression rating scales you can do, you know, the Beck Depression Inventory or the Personal Health Questionnaire. If any of you have been to the doctor with depression or anxiety, you'll get asked to fill in one of those. And sometimes the goal is to, is to decrease your score. And I suppose one of the things that I want to say is that that might not necessarily be what it's about as a Christian, primarily is decreasing your score. It might be a little bit more about actually being free to change. And that's one of the things that I want us to, to think about a little bit today. And if we can just sort of pause and take just 30 seconds at the start, what I'd like you to do is just, just consider one or two things. And the first thing is perhaps why are you here? Okay, and I'm, I'm not going to sort of ask for people to put their hands up. This is just 30 seconds between you and God. Why am I here? And the second change is how confident are you about that change? And if you look at your handouts, you'll see a big sort of spectrum on the front there. That big arrow trapped at one end and able to change at the far end. And today is not about giving you tools and techniques so that life will go smoothly for you. But perhaps it is a little bit about moving from being trapped to being able to make changes. So just 30 seconds, just perhaps between you and God, you can bow your head. Talk to the person next to you if you know them and just think, you know, why are you here and how confident are you about that change?
for those of you who just sort of joined since we started, just to say you should find most things on the handouts that are in the front part of the church and everything. There's a website at the top there, mindandsoul.info forward slash focus. All of the resources, all of the slides I'm talking from, these handouts, the audio are going to be available there for you afterwards. And the Mind and Soul website, the other flyer that you'll see on the chairs has got lots of information about mental and emotional health in general. So today's partly about thinking about how can I get away from that feeling of being trapped into the fact that I'm able to change. And who knows exactly what the change will be. It it could be that God is leading you somewhere easy. It could be that God is leading you somewhere hard. But it's the ability to change, the ability to understand that, to influence that. And I guess when I was thinking about this, the, the sort of big idea that was going through my head is that we often know the destination but perhaps not how to get there. So, for example, one of the quotes that you might have heard quite a few times is by a revivalist, an evangelist called Gypsy Smith. And he said, and I, I don't know if he was American or not, so I'm not going to try and do the accent, but he said, do you want to see a revival? He said, well, then go back home, draw a three-foot-wide circle on the floor, kneel in that circle, ask God to convert everybody inside that circle, and then when you do that, you're experiencing a start of a revival. That's a quote you might have heard before, and if you hang around in Christian circles for a while, you'll probably hear that quote, because ultimately it is about starting with ourselves. But somehow it's almost as though that change happens by, by magic, or that you go home and you draw a circle and you sort of get down inside it, and you, you just sort of start praying. And how do you change? How do you convert the person inside that circle? What if the person inside that circle is resistant to change? How do you convert the person inside that circle? And there is a sense that sometimes in Christianity we've got this sort of black box that happens. You know, I want to change. How do you do it? Well, pray. Ask God to change you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come. And all of these are good things, and they're all things that I think we ought to do, but it doesn't actually help us if change doesn't happen at that point. Or if change does happen, it also doesn't help because you didn't know how you changed, apart from you was zapped. So if we can understand how we change, that might help us repeat that change in the future or tell other people how to make that change rather than waiting for this black box change that just seems to happen to some people and doesn't seem to happen to other people. So what I'd like you to do is is a little bit of small group work now. And um, Jonathan, I think that's on the next ne- next couple of couple of pages. I want you to have a bit of a think about what the Bible says about change okay now i don't know what people are going to say in response to this it may be that you've you've found the verse i've missed which is fantastic but i'm i'm really interested to know what the bible says about how we change and you know how is the change happening rather than by i use the word magic briefly but loosely but what i mean by that is rather than it being some sort of unknowable spiritual experience you know the spirit of the lord came upon me and something happened well that that, that's very nice but it doesn't actually tell us anything about the change process what i'm interested in is what does the bible say about change and i'm just wondering if some of you have perhaps come across verses or things that you've been told to do when you've been struggling with a change people have said go and look at that section of the bible go and look at that story So do you want to get into groups just with the person two or three next to you? Um, A fairly easy question. It is just the first day day of seminars at at Focus. So I'm not going to ask you to be too personal 
All I'm asking you to do is perhaps share a bit of the Bible that perhaps you've come across that you think helps us understand change. Off you go. You've got about five minutes for that. Groups of two or three. Be nice and say hello to each other first. Now, we, we haven't got a roving mic, so if you want to think from your groups, if there's one person who's able to sort of stand up and shout, that would be absolutely fantastic. Don't, don't worry if you haven't got a huge voice. I'll repeat a little bit of it. But what, what, what kinds of things were you talking about over, over this section of the room? Right, okay, yeah, so there's those two verses. There's, there's Revelation 12, verse 5. See, I am doing a new thing. You know, that's the only bit of um, the Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson that Jesus says that's not in the Gospels. He, he quotes from Revelation. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And his idea that God is going to bring something new. Yeah. And then the idea in Romans 12 that your mind will be renewed, which I always think is really interesting because he's, he spent the last 11 chapters of Romans attempting to renew your mind with theology. And then he gives up at the end of Romans chapter 11, doesn't he? And spills over and says, who can, who can understand the depths and the mysteries of God? And then he asks us to renew our minds. So I think it's quite interesting. My guess is that perhaps he's not asking us to renew our minds with correct theology and correct belief, because that's what the first 11 chapters he's been trying to do. There's something else in there, isn't there? But it, it's a verse that's often, often brought up. Yeah. What about this, this side of the room here? Right, okay, yeah, so repentance. And repentance, I think, is a really important important part of it. I suppose one of the questions I was thinking was, how does repentance work? How does repentance result in, in, in change? There's something about me being less and God being higher. Yes, yes, and sometimes, yeah, I think that's a key point, isn't it, as well? So there's something in there about taking personal responsibility for it. So, for example, if you jump forward to the end of this stream, the addiction session, there's a sense to which addictions is a behavior, and often people get into addiction through perhaps no fault of their own. But at some point in that addiction journey needs to be repentance. And it needs to be done in a way that is not guilt-inducing. But repentance has got to be in there. Again, I suppose, coming back to my point, I'm not quite sure how repentance actually... You know, you take personal responsibility for something, which is good, but how does that result in, in, in changed behavior? I don't know if I know the answer to that question, but there is something about taking responsibility. Yeah. Fine, yeah, and stopping, stopping what you're doing, actually. And, and that, that's a key part of that Romans 12 thing, is do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world and be transformed. And a lot of people want to be transformed without stopping being conformed to the pattern of the world. So it's a kind of two-stage process. Lord, renew my mind, or Satan, flee from me, but not too far. There's that kind of sort of thing, isn't there? So, um, you know, there is a sense that sometimes we have to stop doing something in order to start doing something else, creating some space. Yep. What about them in the middle on the left-hand side here? If you could just stand up and shout, that would be brilliant. Definitely, yes. So, I mean, it's Proverbs 26 or 27. You know, I have plans to prosper you and not, not to harm you. And, you know, again, pray for the prosperity of the city that you're in and you too will prosper also. And the idea that God has a plan... Which, which, again, is quite, it's great and it's really reassuring. How do we get on that train? That's what I'm interested in. You know, it, it's great to know there is a train. How, how do we get on it? I, definitely, definitely. And I think there is that sort of, what the lady was saying is that you have a hope in the future and perhaps with that hope, 
you can take small steps towards it. And perhaps it's just baby steps. And one of the things I want to try and do in the second half of the seminar is sort of say perhaps what some of those steps are, rather than sort of just reaching for the hope and perhaps not being quite sure what the steps are. Yep. 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 And definitely, and there are encouraging and exciting verses, verses about that. If I could push on that a little bit, there's, there's a way and there's a new thing that's happening. How, and we need to re- stop doing the old things again. Is, is there more in that about how we do the new thing? It, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not clear. And I think sometimes that is, you know, and I think there is so much there of, you know, a way, a journey. But how, and I think, I guess my experience working with people who struggle with change is they've often read verses like that and say, I wish that could be me. But struggle to do that thing, struggle to stop doing the old thing. Yep. Fine. So the Galatians says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires. And again, you know, it's good. And I think, you know, when we do have a Spirit-filled moment, there's a sense that for a while after that, it's easier not to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Again, what is a Spirit-filled moment? Now, if God is deciding to presence himself, that's great. If, If not... How do we move in that, in that situation? How do we recreate that feeling without going hunting for another spiritual experience? How do we, how do we sort of find out what's going on in that? And anything else at the back there? Or is it more, more of the sort of similar sort of ideas people were talking about, similar verses? Okay. Uh, please hear me wrong. I'm not... Yeah, sorry, one thing. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, just saying about, you know, the heart, the armor of God there in, in Ephesians. And I guess there's two aspects to the armor of God. One is that's a semi-structured approach to discipleship, which is good. It's good to sort of think, well, actually, let, let's try and put on these different bits of the armor of God. And another example might be, he said, forgetting exactly where it is, but, you know, from perseverance and then on to something else and then on to something else and then on to something else. Is it two, beginning of 2 Corinthians summer, isn't it? There's a list to sort of progress through, I think, 2, 2 Corinthians 1, where God calls us through this structured list. And there are some of those structured lists in, in Scripture that, that we can go through. And there's also the sense that if we keep ourselves busy with the tasks of the kingdom, if that makes sense, you know, so we are involved in going to church, Bible study, discipleship, evangelism, etc., that these things will help keep us on track. And I think, I think there is a sense of that, but... Again, I suppose it comes back to my experience, perhaps working with people who struggle with their emotional health a little bit, is that those things are not working for them, and it's not because they're not trying. Or if you're perhaps my sort of age, which is sort of late, late 30s, you've perhaps been a, a good Christian for 10, 15 years and done all those things, and you know they're really, really good, but you want to know sort of what, what happens after that. What, what is the stage of my faith after this task-based kind of thing? And that's something we'll talk about more about staying healthy. Is, is staying healthy as a Christian just doing the key Christian tasks? Or is there a bit more that we can learn about that? And I was sort of thinking that there's kind of three things that I was sort of seeing coming out of Scripture, three major groups of things. One is this sort of spiritual thing that seems to happen to us. So, for example, Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength which is really important. And there, we do need to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit in this. And sometimes he will give us strength to change. Sometimes he will cure us from an addiction. Sometimes he will give us motivation. And that is good. But God doesn't always seem to do that. 
So how can we change sometimes when that's not happening? The other kind of things are some of the sort of things like the spiritual disciplines, which, you know, the kinds of things about putting on the armor of God. Uh, Matthew nineteen twenty one says, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Other people will talk about going on a pilgrimage. Who, who's seen the way where Martin Sheen goes along the, um, to, to Santiago de Compostela? You know, an amazing film. And we've got, you know, a Catholic priest speaking this morning and this afternoon. The Catholic idea of pilgrimage. These spiritual disciplines are ideas for change. And then one of the verses I've put in your handout, I just love it because this is such a complicated change methodology. Timothy 2, 25 to 6. Opponents must be gently instructed in that the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. So there's, there's so many different change methodologies here. First of all, you need to instruct people. Secondly, God needs to zap them with repentance. Thirdly, we need to study our Bible, and we need to come to a knowledge of the truth. And fourthly, we need to do some spiritual warfare against Satan, who's taking us captive. And I, I love it when Paul just comes out and just puts the whole lot on the table at once and just says, do everything. But... I guess, I guess what I'm kind of thinking is where, where does psychology come into this? And I think psychology has got a really, really important role because I think to a certain extent the Bible only gets us so far. And it's not that the Bible, the Bible is not an encyclopedia for life. It doesn't have an A to Z on everything for the whole of the Christian walk. It's very good for some things and there's other things where we can actually learn a lot. So for example, the Bible doesn't tell you how to invent this chair that you're sitting in. That's been worked out by science and by engineering. It doesn't mean it's evil, okay? And there's a sense that there's things that aren't in the Bible that psychology can help us with. So, for example, if you think about biblical counseling, which is a model of counseling I really like, and if anyone wants a a good introduction to biblical counseling, I'd recommend this book by Tim Chester called You Can Change. And I thought, well, that's a good book to talk about, a seminar about making changes. You can change God's transforming power for our sinful behavior and negative emotions. So it's very much the kind of thing we're talking about here. But the first three steps of this are, we need to be changed into the image of God. That's where we're heading. We're doing this for the worship of God, not for ourselves, not primarily to make ourselves happy or something else. And the first step is repentance. And that's, you know, this lady was saying here, you know, repenting is a really, really important first step. But there is a sense that after that, this book doesn't necessarily tell us a lot more. And I'm not belittling this book. I think it's a fantastic foundation. And if we try and do anything that I'm going to talk about for the second half of the seminar without doing the stuff in this book, we've made a major pickle. We need to be doing this to be transformed into the image of God, which may not be our idea of a future. It's God's idea of a future. Secondly, we're doing it for God's glory. And thirdly, repentance and getting on our knees before God and repenting of some of our past and some of our behaviors is a really important first step. But after that, we perhaps need to look somewhere else. And that's where the kind of black box comes in. And I've met a lot of people who've been Christians for a long time, and they perhaps know about the diagnosis, which I guess is sin on my part, or it could be sins that other people have done to me. Those things are always held in tension. But they don't necessarily know about the prescription. So diagnosis, and a lot of preaching is about diagnosis, rather than prescription. It's about telling us where we're at rather than how to change. Uh, 
a lot of it is about the destination. You know, you want to be like Jesus. You want to be a Christian who's on mission. You want to be a Christian who knows your Bible. You want to be serving in the church. You want to be plugged in. All of these are good destinations, but it's less about the path as to how we get there. And a lot of things that you hear about if you, if you go into Pentecostal circles is people will say things like, I'm deciding for this, which is good. It's a good thing to say. I'm deciding for sexual purity. I'm deciding for positive mind. I'm deciding for the, and these are all good things to decide for, but there's perhaps not very much about, you know, how that actually happens rather than just doing it. And again, it comes back to that thing. If you don't know how you got there and it just sort of happened overnight, you went to bed one night and woke up the next morning and you managed to make that change. You don't know how to do it a second time. You don't know how to tell other people. And this causes problems because there's different bits of the church handle this in different ways. So sometimes conservative evangelicals will say things like, well, you've got the Bible. So you, you've got the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit in you already. And, you know, the spiritual gifts are not something they talk about an awful lot. So you've got the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got preaching in the local church. It's up to you to change now. And if you can't change, it can sometimes feel like you're being hit over the head with a stick. I don't know if that's anyone's experience here is is they, they, they've been told to go and can't go, and they feel quite isolated in that. Or the other end of the spectrum, the sort of charismatic Pentecostal end of the spectrum, is this is what it looks like to be on fire for God. We'll interview people up on the stage who are success stories. We'll talk about healings. We'll talk about speaking in tongues. And the destination is very clearly projected as this is something where you want to be, but actually how you get there is not very clearly talked about. And one of the problems with that is that that can leave you feeling quite alone, feeling quite by yourself. And I don't actually think that is at all where God wants us to be. Okay. Well, I just want to just ask you just to pause for a second and just reflect for about sort of 30 seconds or so, just, just between you and God again. Just thinking perhaps about times where you've seen poor examples of motivational change. Have you been told to pull your socks up and you've got it all have you been told to be more like this and perhaps just think about some of those things and also something you might like to do is if you've been guilty of that type of change perhaps just spend a moment just repenting before god of that before we carry on with the second half okay so it's going to pause just for 30 seconds there what i want to do for the second half of the seminar is teach you two change models that are quite popular in psychology at the moment one's popular in business and organizational psychology one's popular in clinical psychology and also in adult education so teaching people how to change and grow in their knowledge teaching people how to understand change in their businesses and you might think it's a bit weird coming to a seminar to get i'm not going to talk about the bible much more from now on okay i'm going to teach you some psychology but one of the reasons why i'm fairly confident of doing that is actually i think that like i say in the same way that engineers discovered how to put this chair together psychologists have discovered how people change and there is an awful lot that we can get from the bible there's an awful lot we can get from biblical counseling but the detail perhaps of how people change and how to help people when they're struggling with change i'm not sure there is a huge amount on that in in the bible and i think perhaps we can learn an awful lot from psychologists in exactly the same way that if you want to put this marquee up you won't pray for it to stay up you will trust that the engineer who designed these cross ties knew what he was doing. And we need to go and learn from engineering if the marquee is going to stay up. The other thing that I think is really good is if we can understand how we change. So, for example, 
lady over there, I think, was, was saying something about, you know, being filled with the spirit of the Lord and changing. That's really exciting. And I'm really encouraged when that happens. But if we can understand what's going on during that time, if psychology can tell us how our human behavior is changing, I personally, for me, that actually enhances my worship of God. Because I'm now saying, wow, God doesn't just have to zap me. He actually walks with me through that journey. He actually knows what's going on. You know, he's able to help me do that better in the future. So I think, I think good psychology can actually enhance our spiritual experience rather than just sort of saying, Lord, I'm really desperate and, and want to change and being changed. In the same way that perhaps, you know, being healed is absolutely fantastic, but God working through a surgeon is as beautiful in many ways and actually seeing a surgeon at work you go wow that's being put back together that is fantastic and it's obviously great when when god heals in a supernatural manner but it's also great when we understand what the surgeon is doing when we understand what the psychologist is doing and one of the sort of key ways to do that is is to to start asking some questions you know what happened and that's why i was having a fairly good poke at what actually happens in the bible when it's talking about change methodology. Now, I would love it if you went away and perhaps came and talked to me at the end of the session to say, there's this passage in the Bible that tells us what you've been talking about. I would love that, but I've not been able to find that yet. Um, um, There's a guy called Socrates who lived many, many years ago, and Socrates went round asking questions, and he actually asked lots and lots of questions of all the philosophers, and he hacked them so much off that they ended up poisoning him. But he basically went round and said, why, how? What's going, you know, don't be content with the sort of, oh, Lord, zap me kind of school of of change. Don't be content with that. Ask questions. Because if we can understand how to change, then we can help other people change. And also one of the things that's really, really important, I was talking earlier about addiction and people who've ended up being addicted to substances. Now, if you just say addiction's a sin, you need to repent and find a new life in God the person can end up feeling very guilty and being very stupid. Whereas in actual fact, if you were in their situation, if you had their upbringing, if you had their parents, if you were brought up where they were brought up, if you had the abuse that they had, you may well have ended up engaging in the same addictive behavior. So if we understand how people get into situations, then we can be pastorally sympathetic. And this is one of the first things that will happen if you go and see a psychologist, is they will help you understand how you got to where you were rather than, I'm just useless and I'm a failure, which is often how we think we've got to where we are when we go and see a counsellor. They will help you understand how your upbringing and your choices and sometimes your sins, but also the choices of those around you and the selfishness of those around you led you to get to where you are. They'll give you what's called a formulation that will explain to you, this is why you are currently the way you are. But the point about a sort of formulation is that it's a journey that you can follow from being born to getting there. And if you can follow the journey as to how you got there, then you can follow the journey as to how you got out. And that's actually really important. And that's why asking questions is so important. Now, the first model is not actually about change. This is, I think Jonathan's going to come and do some, do some doodling. The, the, the first model is not actually about change. It's actually about living with change. And one of the things that, if you, if you go and talk to business people... And, Come and grill Jonathan about this later if you want to find out more about it. One of the things that business people are doing at the moment is they're talking a lot about chaos and order because things go through natural cycles. You, you are all here as humans because you go through natural cycles. Eventually, at some point in the future, we will all die 
and new humans will be born. And we go through a natural cycle. And if we try and interfere too much with that natural cycle, we cause problems. So endless cosmetic surgery, for example, is, is going to cause us problems because we're, we're battling against something which is not part of the natural human cycle. Likewise, businesses and systems have cycles. So businesses go through changes. And I think we've just got a simple figure of eight thing. And this is here on your, on your charts on the back. But what happens, first of all, is that you've got an ordered situation of some kind. So, for example, life is going along okay. And then initially there'll be some kind of disruption that comes along. I'll explain what this might be in, in the future. Some kind of disruption comes along and challenges the system. What happens then is that can then descend and it can go down into order and chaos in the bottom right-hand corner. But one of the interesting things that business psychologists have told us is it doesn't stay as chaos. And everyone remember their physics and they might have told you about the second law of thermodynamics where it says entropy will increase and the universe will progress towards chaos. Well, unfortunately, that's not true. Okay? Or it might be true on a sort of universe-level scale. But in, in human businesses, because they operate within systems, things don't stay at the chaotic level. What happens is that you move on from that and a new order begins to form. So you sort of come up that side of the figure of eight and a new order begins to form. It doesn't stay in chaos. And then you have to enter quite a difficult period down here again where you're forming new relationships. You're doing the hard work of actually working out the detail of the new order. And then, eventually, you're back up to where you were before in the status quo. And what you have got on your sheet is four emotions that are associated with that change cycle. And I think the really important thing to say is that this is not a change cycle that you're trying to influence this is a change cycle that you're observing. This is the natural cycle of how humans change. And I guess the first thing I want to say about making changes is that sometimes it's not about making changes. It's about waiting for the system to move on and knowing what stage of the system that you are in. So, for example, if you have come to focus for the first time and you're all feeling a bit lost today... It's not about running around like a lunatic and trying to make millions of friends. It's probably about waiting until tomorrow when you will feel a bit more settled. Does that sort of make sense? There's a sense that the first part of making changes, if you move to a new city and you don't know anyone, what do you do in that situation? It takes time. And if we can sort of observe our life and sort of say, at what point in this change cycle are we in? But the danger is that we try and stop this cycle from moving round. We try and hold it where it is. So, for example, if you're in the status quo, you might fear loss. You might fear change. And that might mean that you, you never move to a new city. Your business never changes. It never evolves. Your church never grows because you want to try and hold on to the status quo. And then, of course, some outside influence will come along. You know, the vicar retires or something like that. Or the chief executive of your business, leaves. So there will come chaos. It's coming. After status quo comes chaos, and that can cause fear and paralysis and panic. So if you're not careful, you get stuck in that stage because you panic and you think, oh, my word, everything's over. My life is over. Our church is never going to be the same again, etc." And you panic in that stage. But actually what happens is that a new order comes. So for example... You get a job in a new town and, it, you know, you, you work out the new town's not too bad. Or 
your church gets a new vicar or your boss gets a new, you know, you get a new boss, a new chief executive, or you become the boss. Not quite sure what it would be. Something happens and there's a new order. And then you have to go through some kind of grunt work and you have to sort of work this out. You've got to get the new board. You've got to get your team around you. You've got to get the PCC working right in your church. You've, you've got to do some difficult work. And then you're back to the status quo again. But actually, the status quo is better than the one that was there before, if that makes sense. If you allow yourself to go around this change cycle, because it's better adapted to today. Whereas the status quo you had before was yesterday. Now... I'm going to stop talking at that point and just just ask you just to sort of focus on that in, in your small groups just for a few minutes. And what I'd like you to do, just while I click my way on, sorry, I've got lots of clicks on my thing here, is have a little bit of a think about a change that you might be going through at the moment. And I was, I was lying when I said I wasn't going to ask you to be too open. It is the second day of focus, okay? So what I'd like you to do is get into your small groups. Think about a change that you're going through at the moment. Have a bit of a think as to which stage are you at. Are you at disruption, chaos, new order, new relationships, or are you at status quo? And what kind of emotions are you going through? Are you going through loss, fear, calm, or hope that things are going to get better, okay? And does that perspective help? Does standing back help? So three or four minutes just in your small groups, off you go. If you want to go and read a bit more about this, I put a reference there in your handouts. Margaret Wheatley, Leadership and the New Science. It's obviously provoked a lot of discussion. What, what, what we're kind of saying here is that sometimes there are not changes to make but there are changes to be lived through. And that's one of the things that psychologists and chaos theory and things like that have taught us an awful lot about. And I think it's actually quite a simple thing. You actually sort of stand back and think, do you know what, there's some stuff that just needs to be lived through. And one of the things I deliberately haven't done is try and give you an example from Scripture. But I'd like to suggest that you might want to go away and have a look through some of the big change moments in the Bible. So, for example, being cast out of the Garden Eden. For example, being sent into exile. For example, um, the beginning of the early church, etc., etc. And see these changes happening. And I think the big message is these are not things that you can rush. These are just changes you have to go through. And the key is not to be holding on to stuff because you're worried about loss, not to panic, not to stay too long in calm, to do the work of hope, to understand the flow of this cycle. And hopefully that can help us move through these changes more effectively rather than getting stuck. But I do want to talk to you about making changes. And I'm just going to share a simple model with you just in the last five minutes, which is at the bottom half there, something called experiential learning. Now, anyone who has done any teaching will have heard of Kolb and experiential learning. Any of you who will have done study at university more recently will have been encouraged to keep reflective logs and all that kind of stuff. And that's what all this is about. And the idea is here is that experiential learning can help us change. And if I give you a very simple example on learning from initially, let's think about something clinical. Okay, we'll talk about, um, oh, goodness me. That's interesting. That has just crashed. While I open this up again. Well, think about something... Go away. We'll, th we'll think about something quite simple. Thinking about clinical depression. So I'm just going to open this up again. 
what happens in clinical depression is that we can get very stuck down. So, for example, we might have a depressive understanding of the world. So we may think, I haven't got any friends, for example. Okay? And whilst that not might be true, it, it, it's what we feel at the time. I think I haven't got any friends. So our planning, our social planning is probably non-existent. Our experience of the social environment probably confirms what we think we already know, which is that we haven't got any friends. And therefore, when we, we probably don't reflect on that because we're just living day after day with depression and it's like trying to walk through treacle. So perhaps our reflection isn't very good and our understanding stays at that level of I don't have any friends. However, if we can change our understanding, if we can change our understanding, what happens is we can suddenly start to sort of say, well, maybe I've got a few friends that I've fallen out of touch with. Our understanding will change. Then our planning might change. I could maybe text one of them. Our experience might change. You might end up meeting for a cuppa, which actually goes far better than you ever thought it was going to. Because you're now wanting to do the reflection that goes with this, you spend some time reflecting, perhaps with the aid of a therapist, and you come to a new understanding. I've got one friend, okay? And, and hopefully, if you repeat that circle a few more times, you've actually gone a long way towards helping with your depression. Now, what I've just told you is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy sounds very, very complicated. What I've just told you is very, very simple. If I give you another example, okay, um, learning from Alpha, okay, so somebody comes along, this is an adult education example, Alpha's funded, founded on educational principles, so what are the two strap lines of Alpha? Um, life is worth exploring, or there must be more than this, okay, that, those are the sort of two things on the Alpha poster, that's our initial understanding, as a result of that we do some planning, we think, I would like to go on an alpha course. You then have an experience, which is the food's not bad and Christians are not quite so weird as I thought they were. There's some kind of reflection that goes on, maybe in the small groups, maybe on the tube on the way home, and then maybe perhaps this is where the Holy Spirit comes in as well to help our reflection. And you then come to new understanding, and the new understanding might be something like life has meaning. So that's an example of people, people have moved from I didn't think Christianity was worth anything to life is worth exploring through to God has life has meaning. And then perhaps after a few more times around that cycle, they say, I am a Christian. I now believe that this is happening. But it's about going around that circle. Getting better from depression is about going around that circle. And one of the things that I'm sure you'll have seen is really, really important is this reflection stage. Because if we don't reflect, if we just have an experience of a nice meal at Alpha, I don't reflect on it. All that happens is that we think life is worth exploring and we go on the Alpha course and we don't do very much. It's that reflection that helps. And likewise, if you're suffering from depression, it's the reflection bit that's really difficult. And likewise, if you're a student, it's the reflection bit that's really difficult. Who's been a student who hates those reflective bits? But... That's where you learn, isn't it? I mean, if, if, isn't that me? That's where you learn is when you do that reflective stuff. Otherwise, it's just about cramming and packing facts into your head. You don't actually learn. You don't actually process. It's the small group times in seminars and lectures where you really learn, isn't it? It's when you reflect on stuff. So it's this reflection bit 
And that's where our Christian understanding can come, is bringing other things into that reflection, like the Holy Spirit, like the Bible, and they will change our understanding. So these things go round in cycles, and it's the Bible that helps our understanding there. And it's not that you can't do reflection without that, but the Bible helps in that cycle. And one of the other books that I wanted to sort of point out to you is, 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 is this book, and this is a little bit of shameless self-promotion, so I do apologize. This is a book I wrote. Um, but one of the things this book really does try to do is combine good cognitive behavioral therapy and good theology and the power of the Holy Spirit together. So if you want a little bit more clarity as to the sort of things I'm talking about, about how all these different things fit together, that's a book I'd recommend. So what we're saying here is that Kolb's cycle, we work out what our understanding is, we do some planning, have a new experience, reflect on it, change our understanding and evolve, and we can actually move forward using that cycle. And it's understandable rather than, I became a Christian on the, on the Alpha course and I don't know how it's happened. Does that, does that make sense? Talking about moving forward around this cycle. Um, one of the things that we were going to talk about in this seminar is what is the role of friends, faith, and, and therapists. And very briefly, just to say that friends are there to help you on this journey, to walk alongside you while this is happening, not to hit you with a stick from behind or be in front with a carrot. They're, they're alongside you. God is alongside us as the Holy Spirit. One of the words I love for the Holy Spirit is, is the paraclete, is the alongside presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, he's not just the person who's got supernatural gifts waiting for you in the future. And what therapists can do is they can help you with this reflection. And if I can just close with, with one tip... You are better seeing a good therapist who will help you with cycles like this where you actually understand how you got into a situation and how you got out of a situation. And with good reflection, you'll be better with a secular therapist who does that than with a Christian therapist where you have lots of interesting Christian conversations but you don't actually understand how you got into a situation and how you got out and you don't actually do the reflection you're just using Christian shorthand from the worst go. I think on that note, I better stop, because that's probably the end of it, or the end of our time anyway. Thank you.